Hey everybody, I'm Nick Davis. Welcome to Simply Not Easy, the podcast about simple action steps to improve the journey of your life as I work to improve the journey of my own. Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to Simply Not e- Not Easy. Wow, that was, uh, I guess I'm just waking up this morning, huh? So, Simply Not e- Easy, everybody. Uh, thank goodness this is not the first episode. We've had multiple episodes, so you know what the podcast is all about. We are here on uh, bright and early, Muscle Monday, good morning in Dallas, Texas. Uh, just driving an uh, early shift on my way to work, and it's going to be a good day, man. Got a, got a lot of clients set up for today, so going to have a fun time. Just, you know, another day at the office, messing around the gym, using the gym as my playground, basically, hanging out with a bunch of good people, uh, good people with some good goals, and just helping them expedite the process for themselves, man. So we're going to have fun. Today, Muscle Monday, we're talking about uh, a really good muscle, a muscle that I've actually um, overlooked certain aspects of in the past, so I'm going to enjoy talking about it. This is the infraspinatus, the infamous infraspinatus. So the infraspinatus is one of four of our rotator cuff muscles, the other one being the teres minor, the subscapularis, and the supraspinatus. So with this muscle, with its great function, it's a external rotator. And the external rotator frame for spinatus, so again, that's just gonna externally rotate the shoulder. And as part of that rotator cuff, it um, heard a great analogy recently from my boy K-Star, Kelly Starhead, um, describing the rotator cuff as an octopus. I know it sounds kind of funny, but um, it kind of makes sense when you think about it. You've got the four, Instead of eight for octopus, you've got the four um, tentacles, I guess they're called, coming out of the main head of the octopus. So the head kind of sits right around the shoulder, and the tentacles come around from all sides of it and act to dynamically stabilize that area. So it acts as a a major stabilizing force. And it's pretty cool stuff um, because we can see, and it's an easy analogy to see, hey, if our shoulders start coming forward a little bit too much, that changes the length tension relationship throughout that muscle. And the issue with that ends up being, okay, sweet, we've altered a little bit, so now that the muscles in front are a little bit tighter and shorter, but if they're tighter and shorter, um, and kind of stronger pull up front, what happens to the octopus's, um, I was gonna call them legs, but tentacles in the back, is that they get overstretched and they're kind of clinging on for dear life because they're lengthened and it's harder to contract nice and strong when they're incredibly lengthened towards the end of range. So it's important for the rotator cuff stability to really keep the head of the humerus, the head of that arm shoulder bone, um, really centered, um, centered and strong, so we can generate force from there and have um, extremely little to minimal risk of injury, especially um, insidious onset. Not necessarily traumatic, because traumatic will happen, trauma just that happens to people sometimes especially with sports or military war, whatever, combat, whatever it might be. But that kind of gradual buildup of pain and incidence of irritation over time, that can absolutely be avoided. But getting back to the infraspinatus, um, again, one out of four great muscles, great, great rotator cuff muscles. So as we keep talking about this bad boy, it, its origin, let's talk about its anatomy, it originates in the infraspinous fossa of the scapula of your shoulder blade. So basically, it's on the back of your shoulder blade, one of two muscles back there, it's a larger one. 
Um, you've got that spine of your scapula, which is kind of that horizontal line that goes across it about two-thirds up from the bottom inferior tip. And the infraspinous fossa is kind of that whole bottom tip right in that area. Um, near the edges, of course, as the bone curls up, it's a pretty shallow muscle, but then that deepens right out for everybody um, afterwards, well, kind of when it gets in the depth in the middle. Um, it's function, also it's, its depth is gonna certainly depend on how developed it is. So it's, uh, as all muscles are in the body, but especially this one, it's a truly dependent muscle on use and function, and how strong it is is gonna depend on what you do to actually strengthen it functionally. Now let's talk about its insertion. We talked about being the rotator cuff, so it's gonna have its insertion up on the humerus, kind of as the body, the head of the octopus area. And it's gonna be on the greater trochan, on the greater tubercle of the humerus. And on that greater tubercle, it's gonna be the middle facet, um, or facet, whatever you wanna call it. Um, you've got the superior, middle, and inferior. And it's that middle one that has to do with infraspinatus. And it's pretty cool seeing this muscle on diagnostic ultrasound on those kind of machines. Um, it's a beautiful muscle um, to see. And kind of just seeing how people move their arm, you can see the muscle and the, the depth of it, the girth of it. And it kind of just looks like a little bird's beak kind of curling right over the top of the, the head of the humerus. And it, beautiful thing to see. If you have not seen that before and you appreciate this kind of anatomy stuff, do a little uh, Google or YouTube search of that. Um, diagnostic ultrasound, infraspinatus. Pretty fun stuff as well. Maybe I'm a nerd, but either way, I enjoy it. And I guess at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. If I enjoy it and I can functionally apply it to be some use to a lot of people. So we've got that. We've got the origin. We've got the insertion. We talked about the action, that's to externally rotate the humerus. Um, extremely important function through that, uh, is externally rotating that shoulder and that. There's often an imbalance in people between your external rotators and internal rotators. Now again, for most people, a common ratio that we like to see for optimal health is that for every kind of three units of force, for the internal rotators. That's gonna be two units of force for the external rotators. That indicates a balanced shoulder. So naturally, there will be more internal rotation than external rotation. But when we see people walking around with, and with the amount, the way that their shoulders are rounded so forward, we see people walking around with three times the amount of force of your internal rotation muscles compared to your external rotators being just your infraspinatus and teres minor, those rotator cuff group. But, with the internal rotators, we got stuff like the pec major and latissimus dorsi. So you can see how easy it can be to start to get into those, those developmental patterns, especially when you kind of talk about the glory or the beach muscles that people like looking at. I've talked about this before, but you know, beach muscles aren't just you know the pecs and abs necessarily. It's also you know you got to have you got to leave a good impression when you're smiling at the lady walking by, but you also got to leave uh, good, if not better, impression. Um, actually checks you out when you're walking away. So beach muscles are our back postural muscles too. And these external rotators, um, while not necessarily jaw dropping and popping out, I can assure you that if you've got good ones and you're leaned out, the, uh, the other muscles will be joining in in the back, let's just say. You'll have other great support as well. So, hey, dress to impress, and if you're not wearing that much, we got that birthday suit right, so hey, dress to impress. Other than talking, so we talked about its action, the external rotation. Now talking about its innervation, how does it get its juice, how does it get its brain 
uh, supply, his nervous system supply to say, hey, I need to be active now, I need to be doing my thing. It originates from the suprascapular nerve. And the suprascapular nerve, again, is coming off that brachial plexus. Um, for the infraspinaceous, it comes from C5 and C6. And um, these are really important common nerve roots for the rotator cuff musculature. All rotator cuff have C5, C6 in them. Some has C7 as well. But this is gonna play a really important role when we get kind of more advanced into uh, the world of physical therapy, anatomy, and uh, correlating uh, spinal control along with um, shoulder issues. So we all know, or I shouldn't say that. We don't, we don't all know. I didn't know this until like two years ago. Um, so anytime you bring the arm up overhead, the shoulder elevation, either inflection or abduction, you're gonna have a little bit of extension of those, of that like cervical thoracic junction of your upper thoracic spine, the first two, sometimes three or four segments. Um, and that's great, that's normal. A lot of people are stiff in this area. A common pattern that we see in clinical practice is that throughout kind of C7 down to T2, people are pretty darn stiff but they have to make up for that motion somehow and somewhere. So what happens? Well, we find it at the next available segment. C5 and C6 has a slightly larger amount of shear force compared to other motion segments. Um, it also has a slightly different angle of a set um, or a joint articulation. And as a part of that, we get a common, combined with the stiffness of the CT junction, we get a, a hinge point in that area where instead of kind of extending our whole spine, nice and slow, gradual, all segments are moving in their relative proportion. No, don't work that way. We've got uh, C7, T1, T2, sometimes T3, barely moving at all. But then when we gotta get a movement going, guess what happens? Well, what happens is that we get um, the hinge. We get a larger movement than normal from one specific segment that happens to be C5 and C6. So when we get the nerve roots, when we get the C5, C6 nerve roots coming out from those areas, kind of proximal to the joint segment movement dysfunction, we sent our body senses a. I'm going to use the word instability, with that being a very, very strong word. Um, but there's excessive shear forces. There's excessive um, load being placed through that area, and it, the body senses that we're not as stable that area that we're not as strong as rigid that we don't have as much control over that area so it, it's nervous for us it's nervous and apprehensive for us to hey let's say let's put out our full force and when you guys can test this right you can test um you know doing lateral um shoulder lateral raises where you have to use super spinase to initiate that movement or even external rotation you can do that with you know nice tall posture standing up and facing directly forward and then do that again with you know your nose tilted up towards the ceiling just you know i don't know 30 degrees or something you're going to notice a difference in the amount of force that you're able to produce just because of the local kink in the system now again part of that is a neurological influence part of that is a biomechanical influence either way though you know whatever the rationale is which there are there's definitely rationale for both but at the end of the day whatever the rationale is guess what the treatment's going to be the same so we'll do the same thing for it. it's just about understanding the anatomical physiological mechanism that lies behind it which is i don't know i enjoy that but then again we've already established that i'm a big nerd so there you go that's definitely my bias um 
as we continue down the infraspinatus route, um, I was hanging out with one of the other trainers at the gym yesterday, and he was, you know, found out I was about to be a PT and everything, so he was asking me a ton of questions uh, about himself in particular, and he's like, hey man, I'm, I'm having this, like, this pain, like, in my arm, it's kind of achy, it's on, you know, it's, he was describing kind of up by, uh, a little bit below his deltoid area, kind of on the humerus area, and like, hey, it's right here, and like, sometimes it goes down by the elbow and stuff like that, like, hey, what do you think, what do you think is going on, man? Um, so I'm like, in my mind, um, with the pattern recognition I have in the clinic so far, I'm thinking, okay, that is likely a referred pain. I'd say it out loud, but I'm saying, okay, let's check it out. I'm um, asking about the quality of the pain, that kind of stuff. Anyway, it started, uh, moving the humerus around a little bit as far as active range of motion, seeing what's going on, doing passive joint play of the joint. I then started palpating because I was suspecting of trigger points that would uh, reproduce that pain, and it totally did. Hip boom, touching on his tender point in infraspinatus that he wasn't even aware of. He's like, oh my gosh, that's my pain, and it shoots down kind of halfway down my forearm. And so that's a common referred pain pattern for infraspinatus is going uh, primarily just kind of aching down, but when it's pressed on kind of deep, a, uh, a fast, a fast intense pain, a quick change in pain threshold, but it goes down just to above the elbow. And this is, you know, referred pain pattern in the body where our body developmentally, our brain doesn't do a great job at processing exactly what's going on. So what happens is, way we were, our uh, sensory system was mapped together in our brain, we get this kind of crosstalk and saying that, hey, this area, this kind of region also corresponds with this muscle that was developed in me from, from utero, in utero, in development when your mother was pregnant with you, way, way back in the day, way back in the day. So that was going on where you're just like, hey man, I'm like three weeks old, I don't even have a heartbeat yet, I'm not even beating. Uh, I'm just giving an estimated time. This isn't actually the actual time, but basically in utero, sometimes as you develop, we start getting these myotonal and dermatonal patterns, which correspond to the nerve root level. And we all know that there's, well, we know out there in the research that there's even more variability in that than we thought that there once was. Um, but this gives us a really good indicator to tell us a lot about the situation, to tell us a lot about, hey, we see clinical patterns of this is a typical referred pain that we see from this area as in that I can touch in one area and it causes that it reproduces those symptoms and when it's high enough when it's irritable enough then you get those symptoms at rest or in poor postural positions that are as ideal for the muscle we have the same thing where we have um facet or joint of the spine related um pain and that refers pain where you can be having pain like over by your shoulder blade area and that can actually be coming from your mid to lower uh, cervical, your neck area. So there's a lot of influence in the body that is really cool picking up these great patterns so that we can better inform what we do. As far as how do we train in for spinatus, um, for external rotation. First of all, there's a couple motion in the shoulder where every time you, um, naturally the joint is more stable that when you extend the shoulder back, it internally rotates a little bit. And as you flex it up, you're gonna kinda externally rotate the shoulder. That's why, you know, in gym talk, they talk about with benching, okay, come out and uh, break the bar. Stabilize out there, push out through. That language of breaking the bar, that causes the external rotation of the shoulder when you start flexing it, kinda up, overhead, 
um, pushing it above you into that motion. And this can be a really important indicator of, hey, let's get some good shoulder stability in that region. I'm a huge fan of working um, shoulder stability both in open chain and closed chain. Open chain exercises for it. Get a bunch of different um, get a bunch of different just positions for a different external rotation. I like for sure hitting it down with the elbow by my side, going out to the side. And then I like doing it with my arm raised up to 90 degrees too, kind of flaring um, up towards my head with my forearm. And so those really work too. Sometimes I'll come down by my side halfway in between those two 45 degrees just to hit a different angle. And there are different ligaments that can, in the shoulder that can get tight during different positions of these. So that's important to consider too that if you're working on strength, while you're doing strength might not be the time to work on your range. To, you want to go to the end of your range, but you don't want to push it through and past all the way with your strength. Um, the time to work range is, think of range and strength as separate issues in that once you get the range, the strength helps reinforce that. But there are definitely two de separate patterns, two separate influences that are equally as important, that are extremely important to achieve. But I think a lot of time people try and use their moments of when they're really trying to gain strength, they also use those moments to attempt, and I say attempt, to push the range as well. And, you know, sometimes that can work as far as getting the fascia, the fascia and the system to glide and slide better, but oftentimes they're just kind of forcing the issue a little bit too much. Um, so be careful about what load you use when you're trying to gain range. I'm not saying that load is bad. Sometimes it can be augmented to help, but as always, seek a healthcare professional if you have, uh, like your local physical therapist, if you have any issues at all. All right, everybody. Other than for closed chain exercises, I love doing just some good weight bearing through the shoulder to get that entire rotator cuff active. Um, that's extremely important for me. You've got to have a strong, healthy rotator cuff weight bearing through the area to be able to get what you want out of this and stabilize in all directions like we talked about. Multi-planar movements where it's challenging. One of my favorites for this is get that Turkish get up in where you're moving the entire body, pivoting around a very stable shoulder, very stable arm. And again, the shoulder blade pivoting around that, getting the thoracic spine pivoting around the shoulder blade, um, and getting the both the hips and the rest of the body pivoting around the spine while keeping a stable, strong core. Very, very important. Love this stuff. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed today's little uh, anatomy lesson. There are definitely some good pearls of wisdom hidden in, some gems, some diamonds in the rough. Um, but hey, I hope you enjoyed. Keep living the good life out there simply not easy let's get after it and hey let's get those shoulders strong right there's that three to two ratio from internal rotation to external rotation that we've got that we need optimally in the body we're not there yet i honestly i'm not even there i do have stronger internal rotators than I do external rotators stronger than um they should be i'm not in the ideal ratio am i working on getting it there absolutely um but no matter how we are in our journey there's always room to improve and always more things to be going after so until next time, everybody, enjoy. Get those shoulders cranking, baby. Simply not easy.